She was actually the madam for Heidi Fleiss. I mean, I, I don't think she said like, would you like to be a prostitute? I think she probably said like, would you like to make some money, go to parties? You know, she asked me a lot about my background and my upbringing. And she seemed to think that she would have people who were interested in spending time with me. So I kind of didn't know what I was getting into. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. If I can help just one person find a solution or at least realize they're not broken or alone, then writing this has been worth it. You can pick up the book exclusively at Amazon or signed copy at secretlifenovel.com. And the best way to support our podcast is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts yet, please do. It'll help more people find our show. And if you want to be a guest, shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at icloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really? The how, what, when, where, and why of it all? Today, my guest is Rue. Now, Rue, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? I suppose that my secret, so scandalous for the life I live now, is that when I was young, I was a sex worker. I was the paid escort for men in Hollywood. What? For how How long? How many years? How many months? Uh, the, uh, no, no years. Um, from the time I was 19, uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles until I was about 22, maybe 23. Interesting. Now, what happened to make you create this secret or create the secret life? And at the time, did you tell anybody what was going on? I mean, who I told was kind of contextual, right? There were people who knew because they were also in the same line of work. Mm. There were friends that I kind of couldn't hide it from. Um, you know, like my roommate, of course, knew. And, uh, you know, I. it was a different time. Um, my family does not know and never will. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a commitment with my best friend that if I die, somebody's got to come in and get all the old journals and burn them before... So um, I'll do that too. If you need extra, if you want you. a journal, they're in the hall closet. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Good to know. Um, yeah. So it was several years when I first moved to Los Angeles, when yeah. you ask what created it, I think opportunity, um, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't kind of know any better. I was young. I was ignorant. Um, I didn't have a lot of skills. I was, you know, very enamored by, glamour and money and the scene, you know, it was very like a rock and roll kind of time in LA. 
And um, I think falling into something like that was kind of a natural progression from how I was already living my life. So someone approached me. They asked Who? me. Who? I-, I mean, like, where did they approach you? I was eating breakfast at a place called Duke's on Sunset, which was a little cafe next to the Whiskey A Go-Go. It was 1989. And a woman named Alex, uh, she was a madam in Beverly Hills. She was actually the madam for Heidi Fleiss, if you've heard of that whole situation. Yes, yes. Came up to me and asked me some questions and blah, blah, blah. And we started chatting and, you know, I mean, I I don't think she said like, would you like to be a prostitute? I think she probably (laughs) said like, would you like to make some money, go to parties? You know, she asked me a lot about my background and my upbringing and she liked that I was smart and she seemed to think that she would have people who were interested in spending time with me. So I kind of didn't know what I was getting into. You know what I look like, so it certainly wasn't a modeling interview. (laughs) But you're sexy, you know? You don't look like a model, which not many people do, but you're sexy and you're so smart. She is so smart. It actually makes me feel (laughs) stupid sometimes, but... I could see, you know, you're already so sexy. You don't wear your sex, you wear your smarts. So I could see how you would be very popular in that industry because I I think I was. It's a particular look. I mean, I have I have red hair and mm-hmm. I'm pretty well endowed and I'm sure, <laughs> you know, there's a what what's that expression? Like there's a lid for every pot. So I'm <laughs> sure, you know, I'm sure I was lots of people's lid at the time. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad metaphor, but um yeah, so that's that's how it started. So how was the first time you actually doing it? Do you remember or do you block have you blocked it out? Or no, I'm trying to think of that's such a good question. I'm trying to think of the first time. Um I'm not sure if this is accurate, but let me say this. I was already, it was 1989, 1990. I was already having a lot of kind of random sex and, you know, kind of stranger encounters, if you will. Yeah. Um, and taking, I think, a lot of risks with my health and my sexual safety. And so this didn't feel that much different, you know, like meeting a guy at Gazaris or the Roxy back in the day and going home with him versus meeting a guy in a hotel room that somebody had already screened for you. It didn't feel that That different. different. Right. The difference was just that there was attraction. I mean, I remember saying to a friend back then, like, I'm already having sex and they're not calling me, so I may as well get something out of it, you know? Um, yeah, and if you think say, about it, I could understand thinking and being a young... For my background, right? Yeah. Like, where I was, it didn't feel like that much of a stretch or that much of a progression. I wasn't in a place um, where I was having, like, where I was in committed relationships or I had really had meaningful intimacy. And so, you know, for this little party girl, this kind of, like... I, I want to say dumb. I mean, you say I'm bright, but you are. Um, I don't know how bright I was at the time. How about Maybe that? Maybe you weren't <laughs> as street smart. Are you trying to like act like you weren't? Like you kind of knew, but you're like, oh, I'm just going to play this game. Like this is. Just- yeah, I think. And, and I just don't really think I understood that it was dangerous or that it was sad. I really thought um, this is kind of fancy. You know, this is kind of cool. Like. I just bought a leather jacket and I only worked for one night. Like, look at me. I mean, you know, in retrospect, I probably, (laughs) I probably made less then than I do now, but you know, for very little work in my mind. Um, Yeah. So So what was like the average price too? Like what would you No, no, these are good questions. Um, So (laughs) 
<laughs> We're really getting into secrets. Yeah. So when I worked for her, it was um, between $250 and $500 an hour, and she took 40% of that. When you did an overnight, it was $1,000. When you did an out-of-town, it started at $1,500 plus airfare and accommodations and all of that. So, you know, it was kind of staggered. I didn't always work for her, so there were other encounters. I mean... <laughs> There were times that like I lived with this kind of group of girls who were all in similar predicaments, if you will. And I remember like every once in a while, some guy knocking on the door and somebody would like yell into the apartment, hey, does someone want to, you know, hook up with Fred? He's got $18, you know, like that kind of thing. And we'd just be like, well... We can all go to Denny's when we're done, you know. <laughs> Take one for the team who's, who's behind us Denny's tonight. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't think that we, that I, I'll speak, that I, uh, I cared very much. Yeah. Had never had a frame of reference for like, oh no, sex is really special and it's and supposed it's to be safe it's supposed and be trusting intimate. and loving and right. I know this one gentleman told me, he's like, but aren't you supposed to like lay next to your significant other and just like connect and be bonded? And I was like, no, ew, who wants to do that? I mean, maybe that was some people's experiences. You know, I was the girl who never had a boyfriend in high school. And so... So that first time I do want to hear like what, if you can remember, if you, you know, if some of them meld together, it can happen. <laughs> so I'm not going to remember the first time, but I'll tell you, like, there was this guy, I guess I can say it now because I'm not going to out him. There was this guy named Vincent and he mm-hmm. lived somewhere in like Orange County, like Alhambra or somewhere like that. I'm an LA resident. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> We kind of like me and my girlfriends all kind of shared a car, you know, so one of us would drive down there and then somebody else would hang out with the driver while the person, you know, went in and did the the deed. And um, yeah, and Vincent was in med school. He was a, a Chinese American medical student and his parents were paying all of his tuition. And, you know, he just had this like extra money and he always took you out to like Chili's or TGI Fridays and bought you a meal and you would have this mm. meal and then you'd go back to his house. And it was like, I don't know, like the kind of sex that you imagine two virgins having on their <laughs> wedding night, right? Just like really routine, like, the, like, and, and really quick and un- not sensual. And, um, and I remember thinking like, that I kind of liked it, that it was just the easiest thing I had ever done. You know, it was like. <laughs> all I'm thinking right now, just so five minutes know. of my life, and all I'm thinking is, let's have a blooming onion and go have like virgin sex afterwards. That's all there, I'm yeah. thinking. An awesome blossom and a yes. piece of cherry cobbler. Yeah, <laughs> um, and he had this beautiful house. Um, so he was like a regular, I guess, if you want to say that. He was somebody that I I saw a number of times. There were a lot of like Saudi princes and Saudi royal family. And while that mm. might sound fancy, I think there are probably a thousand people in the Saudi royal family. So there was a lot of like, you're going to the Beverly Hilton and you'll be at this party. And then you would just kind of like sit at that party for eight hours and eat dinner. And either someone would kind of pick you to spend more time with, or you would get sent home. And I always loved being sent home because you got food, but then they also gave you a hundred dollars. So and, paid, and paid your cab fare. So they'd give like the driver $20 and then I get a hundred and I was like, that was great. And then I could go out and party with my friends. Um, so there was a lot of that kind of like questionable, I don't know, like a, 
maybe like um, you're an actor, you know, a casting call or something and it could yes. go either way, right? It's reminding so. me if you're like working as an extra, I think it's like an eight hour, yeah. they give you a hundred dollars and they feed you and you just sit around and sit in a chair and wait to be uh-huh. called. Yeah. Except you have to act charming and you have to seem engaged, which for me was much, much harder than physical sex. Yeah. I'm, you know, you're an actor. We've known each other a long time. I am not. (laughs) And it was far easier for me to engage with people physically than it was to try to act like I enjoyed their company or to try to keep talking to them about things. And, you know, I have a pretty, I'm pretty well-educated and was at the time I was very well-traveled. So I wasn't a dumb girl, but that's not, people don't want to talk to you about you know, museums in, in Russia. Like they, they, that's not what they're interested in. And I'm just not great at making lame conversation. So. And then like probably having that <laughs> girl laugh, you know, that you, you see in the movie. Fantastic at that part. No, because I have that like resting bitch face. Everybody tells me I have. So I'm like, if you just annoy me, I can't hide it. Like you would think I'd be good at that, but as an act, like I, I'm just not good at that. But in in doing that, like secret, what do you think that like I always like looking at the seven deadly sins, like pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, sloth. Which of those sins do you think were connected to why you were doing it? You know, um, mm-hmm. I think pride to start. I was vain and self-absorbed. And I think that my ego got fed. I, I mean, I remember saying to people at the time, like somebody's paying me to, you know, to, to be an object and thinking that that was novel and kind of like fantastical, like that, that was an accomplishment, right? Like somebody like being paid to be a model, but I'm being paid to be a sex worker. That means I'm so attractive and sensual that I'm worth this. And I like, I really saw myself as a commodity and I took pride in that. Now I think it's pathetic, right? For my own reasons. Um, The second I would say is a sloth. I think there was a lot of laziness and, you know, like a a real lack of interest in figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up or developing any skills. I was, um, you know, take the easy way out. You just wanted to like get the money and run with the least amount of effort possible. Absolutely. And then lastly, I would say gluttony because I wanted to drink a lot and eat a lot and travel a lot and party a lot and do a lot of drugs and all of those things. And that was, you know, like, like everything was excessive at that time. Yeah. Um, and I know you love the seven deadly. So two things I want to say, first of all, I think it's important that those are my sins and, or those are, that's my approach to the seven deadlies. I don't really like the idea of looking at my behavior as sinful. So it's like, I wrestle with that. Um, because I also believe that sex work should be legal. And, um, and I also want to say just a caveat for people who listen that I think that sex work is actually noble. And there are a lot of sex workers who aren't engaged in this in the same way I was as a 19 year old who was just lost and lazy. Um, Oh, I agree. I a hundred percent agree. Because I do still know people in that business and, you know, I'm an act, we'll talk later, but I'm an academic now. And so in a lot of the work that I look at, like sex work is a legitimate way, particularly for women to make a living and to be agents over their own bodies. And so those were mine because I was just a teenager who didn't know what else to do with herself. Yeah, I no judgment, just so anybody knows, you know, I've either done just as bad or probably our, our listeners have. So no judgment at all. What anybody does with their life, that is their choice. As long as I, that they 
practice health and safety is what's important to me. And it sounds like you did not. (laughs) I did not. But I mean, again, like, I know this is about secrets, but sometimes I think, well, what's the difference between a girl sleeping with someone because she's getting back at somebody else or somebody has sex because they're drunk and they don't remember it. Like these were consenting adults who had a legitimate transaction. I was never harmed in the course of my work. Um, don't get me wrong. I felt like crap a lot, you know, and I don't think I realized that until much later when I could process. But like, for me, it felt very honest and very consensual and very straightforward. There was more communication. In fact, a lot of times in those encounters than I had in subsequent relationships for the next like 20 years with romantic partners. Oh, no, I know. You you and I have talked about the dating and how (laughs) non-communicative the world is, especially with this, you know, swipe left, swipe right. So I get it, you know, but but you still kept it a secret and it still was something you weren't telling the whole world. And who did that harm in the process, do you think? And when you think back? I mean, you can't tell the whole world. You, you can't, I, I, you can't tell people there's a taboo around this. There yeah. still is. Right. And I think that the climate around sex work has changed and there are more activists who are more visible and people are writing about it. Academics are researching it. Right. Like, but that wasn't the time. Um, that's not where we were. And so, you know, this kind of like wearing it as a badge of pride, like, no, I'm a sex worker. It was like, oh no, you know, so I had a million lies around my job. I mean, a million, like my, with my family, I was a cocktail waitress. And then sometimes I'd say to friends like, well, I'm an escort, but it's not like that. And then at the time, I don't know if they still exist, but I also, there were these places in downtown LA. um, They were like taxi dance places. In other words, men can come and they can check you out and they can I mean, check you out like a library, like a book, check you out and pay to spend time with you. They can like rent you by the hour. And I worked at a lot of those clubs, which was kind of like another part of my foray into that. So, so I would kind of like, oh yeah, I'm going down to the club tonight to see if I can make any tips. So when you say like keeping it a secret, I had a lot of different cover stories Right. For what I did. Because it's obvious I didn't work. I mean, I'm like, I only, and I think that people with secrets are masters at making sure those things don't come out. Well, you know, at any given time, they've done studies that people hold 13 secrets at one time. 13? 13. The average person has 13 secrets that they keep at one time. That's during the research I read. Wow. Obviously, we both, and we've said you're out of the business, but (laughs) how do you move forward? You know, you, I just going to say you got married. You are in a committed relationship now. Mm -hmm. You're happy. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you move forward and not keeping these things or, you know, things you've done in the past? It seems like you're pretty open now. I am. I mean, with the exception of my mother, I think it would just crush her. I don't think it would surprise her because she knows a lot about that time, but um, I'm public because the group of people that I, so first of all, how do I move forward? Um, It's not a a secret. I don't, I don't have, I don't carry shame around it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are kind of three different things that I look at. So the first is I am pretty vocal about it. You know, it's been a long, long time. And if people want to judge me for choices I made when I was 22 years old, which is more than half my life ago, I think it says more about them than it does about me. I agree. Um, right. So, um, I don't tell anybody, it's not like when I was dating online, like I was like, Oh yeah, I used to be a sex worker. That's you know, your likes that's- and dislikes. <laughs> 
that's not a fun second date. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that moving forward, my se- my secret or former secret has to be brought into the light. Um, mm-hmm. because I, I don't, I don't want to feel ashamed or guilty or wrong or sinful to use that word. Right. Yeah. Um, the second thing that I'd say is that I have done a lot of recovery around it. So I later in life, because I realized not that I needed to recover from being a sex worker, but I needed a different attachment to men and to relationships. And that sex work had happened when I was so young and in such formative time that I needed to do some work around that to not you know, to be better able to have the kind of relationship I wanted. So between therapy and a 12 step program, I did a lot of work about intimacy and healthy sex and that kind of thing. And so that kept me from feeling ashamed. I'm still in a recovery program. I'm still in therapy. Um, Those are kind of ongoing processes for me. And then the last thing is that when I met the person that I loved, that I really wanted to be in a relationship with, um, I chose to talk to him about that when I knew that we were moving toward the lifetime of commitment. So for me, when you say you're married now, I wanted to walk down an aisle and know that this person knows everything. So yeah, I felt so clean, you know, like I don't want to be sitting there on my honeymoon night. Like, so <laughs> there's something I need to tell you, right? Like that would feel terrible. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to commit to somebody in this way if it wasn't all out on the table. I agree. I think people hold too much in when they get married. I think they get married too quickly without revealing all these things because that was important to me when I got married. That mm-hmm. Do you want to know all this about me? And it's like, I'm not going to hold anything. So I agree. And I'm very, very happy for you. And I'm so grateful for you to share your secret. I hope there's somebody out there who's kind of smiling and nodding and going, oh yeah, me too. (laughs) Thank you for asking me. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.